Good morning. What is up, Monmouth Christian Church? I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Thank you so much for joining us. For those of you online, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, Sean and I go back about two years. We met a couple of years uh, before the pandemic. We were at a, uh, at a uh, I think, a pastor's meeting in Turner, Oregon, and uh, we exchanged phone numbers. And then a couple of months later, the pandemic hit. And we were really grateful we had exchanged phone numbers. So, uh, so Sean and I have known each other for about 18 months or so. And, uh, and I, I've loved Sean for like six or seven of those months. Um, uh, actually, I want to pay him the highest compliment. I said this in the first service. Uh, I love your pastor, and I also like him. Um, how many of you are sitting next to people you love and you like them right now? Right? I said right now, just for right now, you love and you like them. Right? How many know sometimes, sometimes it's not always easy to like the people that you love? Uh, Sean and I, uh, he and Don uh, have been amazing friends to Libby and myself. And so I bring you greetings from Roseburg, Oregon. First Christian Church is where I pastor in Roseburg, Oregon. And so if you're ever in our neck of the woods in Southern Oregon, please say hello. We'd love to see you there in Roseburg. Um, there's a website called bucketlists.org. And if you visit this website, it will actually help you plan some things that might be on your bucket list. And they actually have suggestions. And if you go to their homepage, they have suggestions like you can kayak through caves and you can visit Petra Jordan and you can climb Mount Kilimanjaro. What would be on your bucket list this morning? What would be the things you would want to see, experience, or do before you die? For a few moments this morning, I want you to think about this thought. What's on your bucket list? And the course of the next few moments, I want to share with you three different truths, three stories. And then at the end, I actually brought my bucket with me this morning. Uh, in a moment of clarity, we'll try to wrap this in a bow this morning as we think about your bucket list. What are the things you would want to see or experience or do before you passed away? I'll give you a couple as an example. Uh, there's one for me that I would like to visit this small, uh, tiny town in England called Bristol, England. And a little bit later, I think you'll understand why that's a town I want to visit before I die one day. Uh, another thing on my bucket list is this. I want to see the greatest NBA franchise, the Lakers, play in all 30 NBA arenas all across the United States. I would love to see that happen. Uh, we've made it to two so far. Uh, the pandemic kind of interrupted that, right? Uh, the idea of traveling and those kinds of things. What would be on your bucket list this morning? What are the things you want to see, experience, or do before you pass away? Our text this morning is going to be in 2 Corinthians. And so if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Or if you're watching online or here in the room, you'll see the verses displayed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul shares with us this incredible truth. He says this, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Everybody say that word, troubles. We don't, we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. This verse, as I said, is written by the Apostle Paul. And when you look at the Apostle Paul's life after he met Jesus... There's quite a few things that he experienced in his life that you or and I would not want to replicate. He was stoned many times. He was shipwrecked twice. 
He was persecuted often. He was imprisoned frequently for his faith. He was uh, five times received from the Jewish elite, 40 lashes minus one. He was, he was beaten for his faith. He went most of his life hungry, or much of his life, I should say, hungry and thirsty. And when he went through those episodes in his life, when he went through those moments and he looked back on them, this is how he remembers them. This is the verses right before this in verse 16. He says this, That is why we never give up, because though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. In the next verse, in verse 14, he says this, For our present troubles, there's that word again, troubles, they are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them all and will last forever. What's on your bucket list this morning? What are the things you want to see, experience, or do by the time this life is over? What's interesting about this verse is Paul is asking us to fix our eyes. In other words, arrest your attention. Singleize your focus because then it gives you direction in your life. And it kind of seems contradictory that Paul would ask us to fix our eyes on something we cannot see. It's interesting. He, he takes this idea of fixing our gaze and fixing our eyes, but he says, I want you to fix it on the things you can't see in the first place. In fact, what he's asking us to do is identify in our life what is temporary versus what is eternal. And he says the things we can see, those are all temporary things, but our life is significant. It means much more than this. So what are the, what are the other things that cannot be seen? As I said, we'll go through three truths this morning. And so truth number one is this. The more you look forward to the next world, the less you'll need from this world. The more you look forward to the next world, the less you need from this world. In the year 23 BC, the poet Horace uh, described what it would look like for someone to enjoy their life while they can. And he came up with this phrase, carpe diem, which means, you know what it means. It means to what? To seize the day, right? To pluck the day. To take every single moment that we live and to enjoy it at its fullest. Henry David Thoreau, the poet, said it this way, I want to live deep and suck out all the marrow of life. And for most of us, that's how we live life. And yet there are moments in our life, how many of you will identify with this, where uh, the fear of missing out, FOMO settles in. And there's things that other people might see, experience, or do, and we might see it on our timeline, or we might see it uh, on, on Twitter or on Instagram, and instead of feeling joy for them enduring or going through those awesome things, if you're like me, you get a little jealous, Right? Maybe even a little bitter, maybe even a little anger. There's this feeling you quite don't know what it's like. And God forbid it happens with a group of friends that you actually are friends with. And instead of enjoying what they're going through and being uh, uh, an observer, you actually start saying, well, why didn't they invite me? Did I miss that text? How come I wasn't invited? Why, what am I missing out on? What's on your bucket list this morning? It's interesting because generationally, the last generation had things on their bucket list that we want to do in a weekend, right? Our appetite has grown exponentially. And so we want to see, thing, see and do the things in our list that 
we want to do really quickly or in a short amount of time. I remember when uh, my wife is here, is Libby, and uh, I remember when uh, Libby and I were dating, uh, we, uh, there came a point in the relationship where I knew where I thought, man, I, I think I want to marry her. And that came pretty early for us. And so I thought to myself, I want to create an environment where we get to experience all the highs and the lows of all the emotions and everything. And I thought a road trip would be great. And so I said, uh, I said, Libby, on Friday on our day off, let's go to Seattle for lunch. We live in Roseburg, which is two hours south of here, right? And so I said, let's go to, let's go to Seattle for lunch. We'll have lunch and we'll come back. That's it. Six or seven hours in the car on the way there, on the way back. And so we left uh, Roseburg about six o'clock in the morning. We stopped somewhere for uh, some breakfast, I think. We got to uh, Seattle a little after 12 o'clock. How many of you have been to Pike's uh, Market there in Seattle, right? We did that whole thing. We saw the fish being thrown. We we had uh, lunch at a spot where I think is featured in uh, Sleepless in Seattle, uh, we walked all through where they had all those beautiful flowers and things. Uh, all the little vendors. I had the best samosas I've ever had in my life were there. Uh, they had those little mini donuts. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Those little mini ones. They deep fry them. They put them in a paper bag and cinnamon and sugar all over that goodness. We came home. It was a little after 10 o'clock, I think, when we got home. And I remember thinking, man, if we could endure six or seven, by that time, 12 or 13 hours in a car together, go up and have this adventure and deal with each other being happy, excited, and sad, and hungry, and all of those emotions. And one day I thought, that's someone I could marry. But we crammed all of those things in on one single day. Why? Because we could, right? We live in this generation in this time where we will jam-pack all the activities in our life in a very small amount of time because we can, Our appetite has grown that way. And so, so much pressure is put on today. And yet one of the principles Paul is trying to get us to understand is this. As a follower of Jesus Christ, forever is ours. In fact, he says this earlier in a letter to the Corinthians. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more to be pitied than anyone in the world. If he says, if Christ is in your life only for the moments and days and years and months of this life, you're to be more pitied than anyone else. Why? Because forever is ours. He says again in 2 Corinthians, we know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. So death is not the end of the road for a follower of life. It's simply a bend in the road that leads us to life eternal. And so Paul's solution for the day this, this, this dilemma of his day where present circumstances wanted to outweigh what he was living for, his, his solution was to place his attention on what was coming because the more you look forward to the next world, the less you'll need from this world. I want to take you to 1836. 1836, and I want to introduce you to William Bowden and George Beer. These are two missionaries that are uh, leaving Bristol, England, to head on a six or seven month journey by boat around the Horn of Africa to the southeast of India. And they would spend their lives, they hoped, just bringing the gospel to people. And so for six years they labored. For six years they uh, learned the culture. For six years they tried to learn the language. For six years they tried to tolerate the spicy food, right? They, they tried to do all those things in six years. And at the end of six years, they had nothing to show for it. 
Not one single follower accepted Christ. Not one single person would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And six years later, there was no converts. And they chose to stay. They chose to remain faithful, even when it didn't make sense, because they looked forward to the next world. And in doing so, they, needed, they didn't need much from this world. Truth number two this morning is this. The less you need from this world the more you can do for it. The less you need from this world, the more you can do for it. See, when you clarify what's important, it allows you the opportunity to serve people where you're at. The less you need from this world, the less pressure you'll have to measure up. The less pressure you'll have to throw your convictions away. The less pressure you'll have to destroy your own morals. And the less noise you'll have in your life speaking guilt and shame. The more you look forward to the next world, the more you can do in this world. I want to tell you another story. A little bit later in history, in 1850, we have William and Catherine. William and Catherine are married and they're leading a church in London, England. And they were kind of unconventional in their day. They, they, they had this crazy idea that they just should love people wherever they were at. If they were addicted, if they were homeless, if they were going through difficult moments, if they were the, uh, the unwanted of society, if they were the unlovable of society, William and Catherine had such a burden to just love people where they were at. And this didn't jive with the church culture. The church leadership didn't understand. Why are you bringing these people into our church? And before you knew it, they were without a church. They were without a congregation. And while they seemed to have lost everything, they embraced this idea that the less you need from this world, the more you can actually do for it. Truth number three this morning is this. The less you need from this world, the more you can withstand pain in it. The less you need from this world, the more you can withstand pain in it. The more you can withstand it. You see, the battle between the present problem and the promised prize is real. And albeit real, the present sufferings are not worthy compared to the glory that will be revealed to us. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 8. He says this, what we suffer now is nothing. Everyone say that word, nothing. What we suffer now is nothing. They're being shipwrecked, being, uh, being hungry, being thirsty, being imprisoned, being beaten, being persecuted. All these things that Paul went through in his life for the faith, he said, what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. This is what Paul's eyes were fixed on. Not what he could see, but what he couldn't see. Little George is a young man, five or six years old, and he's abandoned by his father and orphaned by his mother. He was born a slave, and he spent much of his younger years homeless. One day he was looking for shelter, looking for a safe place to be, and he stumbles upon a barn that looks to be empty. And so he finds a cool spot in the barn and he just falls asleep there a little later the owner of the barn came in and mariah came in and saw george asleep there and he she could just tell by the way he looked there sleeping that he had withstood some pain in his life he was dirty his clothes weren't kept 
It was pretty obvious he had gone through some things in his life. And Mariah there just stood over him looking at this child and wondering what in the world she was supposed to do. I told you I was going to tell you three stories. Let me finish all three of them. Little George is sitting there asleep. Mariah then has this, has this desire to just make sure he is well. She invites him into her home, and it didn't matter that he was abandoned or homeless or orphaned. She cared for him and brought him to church. She introduced him to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and taught little George that there was no greater pleasure or privilege in the world than serving God. When George left Mariah's home years later, he would take with him one of his few possessions, Mariah's Bible that she had given him. Little George grew up to be George Washington Carver, the father of modern agriculture, and history credits him with over 300 products coming from the peanut alone. This once orphaned, uninvited, homeless, abandoned child became the influencer of world leaders, and every morning he would walk into his lab as an adult, and he would recite the verse that his mother, Mariah, had taught him, open my eyes that I might see the wondrous things from your law. You see, the less you need from this world, the more you can withstand pain in it. Remember William and Catherine, well, they find themselves without a church, and on the way home, they just discuss, what would it look like if we just loved every single person? Every person that needed it, every person that was uninvited, unwanted, or unloved, what, if, what would it look like to just love them? And so that's what they did. They would love the homeless. They would love those that were hungry, those that were poor, those that were destitute in the London, England area. Other followers of Jesus Christ were so inspired by this that they then joined William and Catherine on this journey to just love people. They had a veritable army of people just loving people in their community. By the time they passed away, William and Catherine Booth would have founded the Salvation Army. And by the time they passed away, they had led one million souls to Christ in the England area. Because they just loved people. Because the, more you, the less you need from this world, the more you can do for it. The more you can serve people. The last story is William Bowden and George Beer. This one's my favorite. I spent six years in India. Not one single convert. I want you to think about anything in your life that you would pursue for six years with zero success. How many of those things would you keep doing? Their family would write home and say, man, it's time for you to come home. The church that would, would support them uh, would write them and say, it's time to come home. This is clearly not working. William Bowden and George Beer spent a week then praying and fasting and said, Lord, is this really what you want us to do? Is this, is this the life you've called us to do? After that week of prayer and fasting, they had one open-air meeting where they just loved people and told them about Jesus. I've been to that spot in south, um, southwest, uh, eastern India, and it's kind of a, on the corner of open-air markets, and they just stood there preaching and loving people the best they knew how. At the end of that day, they had one gentleman come forward, one man who said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And that man was my great, great, great grandfather. In 1842, my family has had the privilege and honor of having a Christian heritage because two missionaries decided 
that the more you look forward to the next world, the less you need from this world. Church, what Paul is asking us to consider is this truth in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 18. We don't look at the troubles we can see now. We don't look at someone and say they're homeless or they're destitute or poor and say that defines them. We don't look at someone and say you're a failure in ministry, you're a failure in business, you're a failure, and that ends up defining you. In fact, we don't look at those troubles now that we can see. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. I told you I was going to try to wrap this in a bow, so I bought my bucket to help me out this morning. And in my bucket, there are some things that I want to share with you that represent what we are talking about this morning. First off, I have a, uh, I have a food scale. How many of you know what a food scale is, right? This is, uh, if you're watching your weight or you're measuring food, if you're eating a healthier lifestyle you would have a food scale. And on this food scale, it measures things in grams and ounces. And so I have a few things I want to measure this morning. I brought. I brought some things that represent some pursuits that maybe people would have. I brought Gumby with me. How many of you know who Gumby is? Raise your hand. Right? If you're watching online, you guys know who Gumby is, right? I did this once, and I said, who knows who Gumby is? And not one hand rose raised. I was at a college campus, you know. I just started crying. Right there on the stage. Maybe, maybe Gumby's on your list or something like that represents your childhood ambitions. And you're just going gonna to try to live as if you were a kid every single day, right? And that's going to be the joy of your life. I, I brought a cord with me. This represents technology, which is ironic because everything's cordless right now, right? but we put the cord on our scale and maybe your life is going to be about pursuing all these different gadgets and technology that allows you to connect with people and, and you're going to be on the forefront of technology. I brought, um, I brought a magnet I got in Puerto Vallarta, a mariachi hat there. There's a spot in Puerto Vallarta that Libby and I like to go and we'll go in February, hopefully, and uh, it's just awesome. I sit there and I don't do anything. I just sit by a pool for like seven days it's glorious. And maybe your life is about travel and you're retired or, or you're looking at retirement and you're saying, man, I can't wait for the day where all I do is pack up a suitcase and off we go. I brought a, uh, a Grand Canyon souvenir when I was there a few years ago. And maybe your, your life is all about seeing what nature has out there and you look at nature in this beautiful unknown and you're just going to spend your life pursuing those types of things. I brought a, uh, I brought a golf ball with me because I love golf. It's the one hobby I have. You think I'd be better at it, but, um, I brought my golf ball cause I just love it. I love golfing. Um, and maybe you have a hobby and there's something in your life and you just, you want to pursue that with everything that you have. And that's what is on your bucket list. I brought a Snickers with me, because why not? I love Snickers. Snickers represents that sweet spot in your life where you just feed what looks like what will be pleasurable for you in the moment, and you don't think about the consequences later, but you just enjoy that moment because it's so sweet. I brought a Laker bean bag that represents my bucket list I told you about earlier. And if I put all these things on this, on this scale, it measures 722 grams. 
And we look at that and say, man, that's a lot. That's, that's, that's a lot to be living for. I brought another scale with me, and this one you might be more familiar with. How many of you know about this one, right? It's in your, it's in your bath, bedroom or your bathroom. When I put this one down and I, and I step on it, it weighs, I'm not going to, it's none of your business really, <laughs> right? The difference with this scale is this. This scale measures things of greater value. Are you with me, church? This one measures things of greater value. And so what's interesting is this, is when I put this scale next to this scale, and I start moving the items from one scale to the other, and I start moving all of these things I want to see, experience, and do before the end of my life, and I move them over here, what weighed so much over here doesn't even move the needle over here. It doesn't even move the needle because this is designed to weigh things of far more significance. And the tragedy of our lives is this, that we will spend so much of our life, so much of our energy, so much of our time and our money investing in things over here because it feels like, boy, it weighs a lot. It means so much. If I could just do all these things before I die, and the tragedy of our life is this, there's another scale. There's another scale. And what we think weighs so much over here, over here, it doesn't even move the needle. And what Paul is asking us to consider is this. There's another scale. It's not so much what's in your bucket list as is which scale are you choosing to use? Which scale will you measure your life in? Which scale will you measure? Because over here, while there's things you could experience and do over here, over here, this scale, you know what moves the needle? Relationships. Love, compassion, kindness, generosity, faithfulness. That's what moves the needle. And may it be said of this church one day that this was a church of people that were so passionate about relationships, so passionate about loving one another, that they invested in things that moved the needle to the point where the history of Monmouth, the city, would not be written without mentioning this church family because the impact you made because you chose a different scale. We live our lives here, and what Paul is asking us to consider is there's a different scale. Our text this morning, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 18, Paul is asking us to consider this truth. We don't look at the troubles now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. Now, here's the hard part. Here's the hard part. We never know the impact of the relationships now. We never know the impact of the relationships now. In fact, Sean and I were talking between services, and he said this quote, and I, I don't know who said it, but he said, answered prayers don't have expiration dates. Answered prayers don't have expiration dates I get so tickled and I get so stoked inside my bones to think about William Beer and George, or William Bowden and George Beer and their wives in heaven, seeing the legacy that they've created, seeing that my grandfather was a pastor of villages and churches in India, that my dad was a faithful Christian who worked as an electrician for so many years and as a pastor during that time as well, and that I have the privilege and the opportunity to pour my lives into downtown Roseburg into those families. Why? Because two people just said, the more I look forward to the next world, 
the less I need from this world. Church, what, what scale are you using today? Which scale are you using to measure your life? Would you?